Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. And I think when we have a week of prayer and fasting, it reminds us how much we need him, particularly if you fasted from food. Because you realize how much you rely on the next meal. You realize, I mean, your body actually tells you and warns you, uh, hello, as your stomach is gurgling and going crazy, like it's time to eat. And I want my body to give me that same warning when it's like, uh, gurgle, gurgle, it's time to spend time with the Lord. But in our busyness in life, we will eat and our body will tell us that, but we don't listen to the Holy Spirit when it tells us it's time to spend time with God. So I hope that your week of prayer and fasting as my week of prayer and fasting really spoke just volumes to me on how much more I need to care about my relationship and my time with Jesus over my care and relationship with food. Because let me tell you, I have a pretty strong relationship with food. We get along really well, um, and this week just reminded me that I want that same thing for my life with Christ. Anyways, uh, we are still in this fulfilled series. Um, We're doing this series through the book of Luke, uh, and we're going to continue on in Luke chapter 5. So we kind of had a little bit of a diversion last week um, because uh, Dave preached on Luke chapter 11, I think it was, or 13, one of those two, uh, about prayer because we were going into our week of prayer and fasting. Uh, And so we kind of went from four to 11, and now we're back to five, but we're back on track now. Um, And so I'm going to just give us what I believe is God's word for us for just the first 11 verses of the book of Luke. We'll not be able to go through the entire uh, chapter. I hope that you would read and follow up because there are some amazing miracles that happen in the remainder of this chapter five of Luke. Um, but just for the sake of time, I figured it would take me about two and a half to three hours to preach through the entire book. And I figured none of you would be here by the time I finished that. Um, I would be talking to myself. So I figured it'd probably be best just to go with this first section. But I think God's got something to say to us this morning. Amen. So let's just pray and ask God to come and, um, and speak to us this morning.
at this point, this crowd has grown so large that the synagogues can no longer hold him, right? And so anyway, so he's there, he's by the lake, and he's preaching, and people are literally like, there's so many people that they're, they're literally crowding around. There's a, another translation said they were pressing in. They were trying to get as close as they could to hear him. This was a time when there was no amplification. There was no microphone. He wasn't being able to just to, you know, set up his speaker system and, and do this. And so people were pressing in. Quick challenge after verse one. When was the last time you pressed in to hear God speak? When was the last time that what God had to say was so important to you that you found yourself at the edge of your seat, literally just hanging on every word that was spoken or that was read because it was so vital to you? I mean, here you've got people that are literally, I mean, they're pressing in so much that I could just imagine as you kind of up this hill and you're kind of going down towards the water and towards the beach, they're, they're pressing in so close to him that eventually we see that he actually has to get into a boat so that one, they don't just push him in the water, I'm assuming, like at some point, right? But when was the last time like God's word, whether it was the preached word or whether it was you spending time in God's word where you were just so like, oh my goodness, this is like the best thing ever and you just literally can't put this down. Have you ever had that experience? Has God's word ever been that for you? If not, I ask that one of the things you may consider praying about for this year is that God would truly give you a hunger and thirst for his word. Because the people that met him, the people that heard him speak it, I mean, they were pressing in. They were crowding him to get what he's saying was just, I mean, it, it carried power and authority. That is still available to us through his written word, church. So let us press in. And he goes on to say, and they were listening to the word of God. And I really love this because we have to remember the significance of that that you've got Jesus speaking the word of God. And we know the relationship of Jesus and God. And Luke doesn't bring this out, but John sure does. And so just look at a couple of verses in John. John 1, 1 and 2. You guys know this very well. It just says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Revelation 9, verses 13 and 19, which John also wrote. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How awesome is that? That as they are pressing in, crowding in to listen to Jesus speak about himself. That they weren't just listening to Jesus speak words. They were listening to the word of God. And the amazing thing about this, when we talk about being fulfilled, is that the things that he was speaking about. So who can tell me what he was speaking about? It's in Luke chapter 4 just a little bit before this. 
Well, let's just look at it really quick. Luke chapter four, verse 42 and 43. This has already happened. So at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving him. Like they were loving what he was saying so much, they didn't want him to leave. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the, to the other towns also, because this is why I was sent. So they're listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. Whose kingdom is it? It is his own. I mean, they're not just listening to him speaking some words. They are listening to the one who fulfilled the very thing that he is speaking about. And they don't even realize it. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, I love this. 24 to 26 says, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This same Jesus, this same one that's speaking, that the crowds are crowding in and pressing into, is speaking the word of God. Then we know from John that he is the word of God. And so he's speaking his very own words to the people about himself, about a kingdom of God that is, as we've learned a million times in this church, is now and not yet. There's the current kingdom of God that we are building as we reach out to people, but there is a kingdom of God to come when all this will be wiped away and will be no more. And there will be a new kingdom. There will be, and Jesus will, and God will reign supreme. And in that time, every knee will indeed bow and every tongue will indeed confess that Jesus is Lord. And that's what he gets to speak to his people. Guys, we're just getting warmed up. That's just verse one. Verse two, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So as I said, people are crowding him. He's like, okay, I can't really speak this way. Everybody's like right in my face. So I'm going to go into the boat and we're going to go out a little bit from shore. And this is going to give me an opportunity to be able to speak to the crowds and speak to the masses. And so it says that he sees a boat and he gets in the boat. Now, one of the cool things is that it doesn't, it's kind of seems like random, kind of like it just drops into somebody's boat and be like, take me out. Right. I mean, maybe I'm the only one that read that. Like, seriously, don't you ask for permission first? I mean, I know you're Jesus and all, but that's kind of rude. Uh, anyways. But it's not as random as it may seem. Because this, that the boat that he gets into is the boat of Simon, who we know will later become Peter. And they have already had a run-in before. Anybody recall that run-in? It's okay if you don't. We're going to look at it right now. <laughs> Luke chapter 4. Again, just going back, just a step. Verse 38 and 39. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of who? Simon. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Now, I'm supposed to be preaching out of chapter 5. I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time. There's one point is just to make that this was not Simon's first encounter with Jesus. So when Jesus would have looked and saw, oh, hi, that's Simon over there. That's his boat, right? This wasn't such a random, like I'm just jumping into some random person's boat and making him do stuff, right? Uh, it's not that. But there's a couple of things that I do want to point out real quick from this just quick encounter um, with Simon's mother-in-law. One was this, he was suffering from a high fever. And I love this because I think Luke is very intentional in the words that he uses. Luke being a very highly educated man, he doesn't just kind of throw out words accidentally. I think he's very particular about words he chooses. And here's one he he chose. He said, so he bent over her and rebuked the fever. Now, just prior to this, he rebuked the demon. And at this point, he is kind of either still in the rebuking mood or there is something to this that we might want to consider. Because very rarely when I encounter anyone with any sickness, do I rebuke sickness. My prayers are actually quite nice and calm and peaceful. Lord, please heal my brother and my sister. And I think that's okay. But there's a much stronger word here. There's a much stronger term here that Jesus uses when, or that he does when he interacts with Simon's mom. He says he rebuked the fever. As if there was something there that he could, needed to expel or could push out. I want to challenge us. We may consider what it may look like to do more work in rebuking in the name of Jesus, that may be what we do. That in sickness, things that have gotten a hold of our bodies, that there may be a little bit more than, all right, Lord, help heal. There may need to be a call of saying, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, fever or migraine or whatever. You have no authority here. And I think we may need to consider walking in the authority that we are given as the children of God. And I think we don't do that enough. At least I'm going to speak for myself. You guys are probably all way more Christian-y than me. So I'm going to talk about myself. Where I get fearful. That's just me. Because it's kind of like if I keep it low-key and God doesn't do it, it's okay. If I get loud and I start rebuking stuff and God doesn't do it, then I feel like a real lame. But I believe that here... Jesus has given us an example. He's giving us an example. If his word tells us that we are to be like him, then we must take the authority that we have. And I believe that we too can rebuke sickness and it will leave. And I know it's an unpopular belief. Well, Jesus will do what he he wants. Yeah, that's very true. But he still tells us no. He says, not only will you do the things I do, but what does the scripture say? You will do even greater things. So let us stop limiting what God wants to do. And the last thing I want us to look at this, and then I'm gonna, we're going to press on here, is that this. It says she got up. Once the fever was rebuked, she obviously had kind of been, you know, kind of laid out for some time and, you know, was, was unable to, to function, operate. And it says that after she was healed, 
what did she do? She got up at once to wait and began to wait on them. It's a weird response, right? To being sick. We don't know how long she was sick. But her response to what God had done was to serve him. How awesome is that? What is our response when God does anything powerful in our lives? I pray it is to serve us. And he's like, well, what powerful thing has he done recently? Oh my goodness, let me tell you. I am sitting here looking at you this morning. God has done something powerful in your life already in that the next breath that you needed to wake up from last night, he gave it to you. Not only that, but then he got you up this morning, which means that you were able to function enough to put some clothes on and to get dressed. And I don't hear a lot of stomachs rumbling in here, maybe a few, but I don't hear it too much, which means that you had some food to put in your bellies. And then you got in some form of transportation, whether it was the walking kind, which is a miracle because there are so many who don't. Or maybe it was a driving kind. And maybe for some, it was a really fancy driving kind. It doesn't matter. So let us not talk about, well, what miracle has God done in my life? I could give you, I just gave you 10 right there that from the morning time you got up until now. So then what should be our response when God does a miracle in our life, when he does mighty things amongst us? Not meaning that he has to, you know, raise up a dead for us to say, oh, he's done that, though he's done that before as well. But that we would see what God is doing in our very lives and that our response to that would be to serve him. That our act of worship would be to serve him. I mean, she didn't take it. I mean, this was pretty immediate. All right, sorry, that's a side note. That's not a part of my, so we can't count that in my time, sorry. That was bonus. So anyway, he gets in the boat and they go away from shore and Jesus begins to teach. Now, this is funny. How many of you guys remember this Sunday when I was preaching and I tried to do it sitting down? Any of you here? Okay, that was by far the craziest thing I'd ever done, right? Preaching, let me say that. I won't say craziest thing I've ever done. I've done worse things than sit down. Um, But it was so funny. I felt horrible doing it. Like I was trying to like kind of just contain my own excitement because when I start to move, I get, I automatically kind of get fired up, right? So I was trying to contain it because I just wanted God's word just to be enough, But I felt really bad. I felt like I was disrespecting the word of God. And then I read this and I'm like, go figure, right? He got in the boat and what's the first thing he does before he begins to teach the people? He sat down. I'm like, I'm preaching all my messages sitting down. Forget you guys. You're trying to make me feel all bad about sitting down. No, I'm just kidding. But I just saw that and it made me laugh in the middle of this, like, I, was, I really felt horrible trying to sit down and preach a message and what the first thing Jesus does when he gets in a boat. Now, granted, standing in a boat's kind of tough as it is. I mean, I'm sure he didn't want to go over, but he's Jesus, so the boat probably wouldn't have moved. Anyway, I don't know. I'm just saying. So he preaches, does his message, and then he turns to Simon, whose boat he's in, and says, let's take off a little bit from shore and I am going to, well, what does he say exactly? He says, let's take off a little from shore. Oh, he says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. This is where I want to spend. This is my final point. And this is pretty important. We'll spend, we'll linger here just a few moments. 
And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So this is a pretty interesting thing. Based on what the, all the people who are much, much smarter than I is, would, would say that this happened kind of in, in the daytime, that he preached, people were, you know, normally at night, Jesus, would, they would send the people home so they can go home and eat and do their thing. So this was still in the day, um, was the assumption made uh, by many here. It doesn't really tell us that for sure. And so he's saying, put out into the deep water and let down your nets. And the interesting thing is he's telling this to fishermen right? These are guys who, this is their career. Their career is to catch fish. So the best people who know how to do this thing are the people who do this thing every day. Would you agree? All right, cool. I'm just making sure you guys are still awake. So Simon answered. Now this is a a really kind of a pivotal moment. Right? This is a really important moment, and you may not see it just yet. You will in, in a moment, but, but this is a really important moment because as I did a little research, I learned a few things about fishing. Now, I love fishing, but I have never fished with a net. I fish with a pole, right? But if you're a career fisherman, you know those big boats and stuff, they, they do that. Well, these nets back then, which were made by hand, which were a lot less with all the whatever we have today, all the, I don't even know, I'm just saying. It's a little more rudimentary than it was, you know, it was more rudimentary back then than it is today. The nets that they used um, were made and they're pretty thick. So one of the things that they know about these nets is that in order to catch fish, you would fish at night, right? Because otherwise the fish in the daytime We'll see the nets. And fish are not as stupid as we think, although they do go after a worm and we'll go after it time and time again. So they're maybe not the smartest thing. But not every fish is like that, I'm assuming. I don't know. But it says, Master, we've worked hard all night, right? And haven't caught anything. And now here is Jesus, who's not a fisherman, right? He comes from a different stock, of, of you know, more of a carpentry stock. So kind of, Jesus, stick to what you do. Let us do what we do, right? We've been out all night, which is when you actually are supposed to catch fish at nighttime. So he's got this kind of, he's, he's kind of giving it to Jesus a little bit. But then he says, before he, say, he says master, and we have to pause at the word master. It's the first time Luke uses this word, actually the first time in the gospels that this word is used, referring to Jesus. Jesus said before usually is, is referred to as rabbi, he's referred to as teacher, but here he says master. And this is important. Master is important because you become a master at something, right? Because you do something really well, correct? Would you agree? Right? So some of you are masters at carpentry, you're, you're masters at whatever your field of expertise is, you're master with the computer, right? If I want to learn something about which I don't even know exactly what it is he does, but if I wanted to talk about something super technical that's way above my head, I would say, Master Bippin, sir, keeper of all things Bosch, 
will you please explain to me and help me understand how automated systems or whatever it was work? Because that's what, because that's what master, they're masters of something. When Simon says to Jesus, master, the master in that boat really is Simon. It's his boat. It's his nets. That's his job. That's his profession. That's what he does day in and day out. And in that moment, he is handing over authority to Jesus. Because this is really cool because he says, master, now he's calling Jesus master. He's saying, master, now you're kind of, I'm gonna, we've been out all night. I'm going to give you my excuse why this is a bad idea. But we've been out all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, master, because I am giving the authority of my boat and my nets to you now, because you say so, we will do it. Some of us need to start calling Jesus master, yo. Some of us need to hand over the authority of our lives to one who is indeed masterful, who can best. All right, I'm not, let me not go into that. So that's what he does. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. It's an absurd request. Simon knew it. James and John who were there, who may be watching it from a little bit of a distance. I don't know, but they knew it. But because you say so, God, because it doesn't make sense to me. I know logic does not, that doesn't, isn't the way it works. I've been doing this for years and years and years the same way over and over and over and over again. And I will even dance. But because you say so, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to do something different that I've never done before. Now, fish in the middle of the day. Who does that? Looks ridiculous. I think I'm a crazy. There might have still been people lingering on the, on the, the seaside that were listening to Jesus. Like, what are they out there doing? Why is he trying to fish now? There's no fish. You don't catch fish in the middle of the day. Sun is out. It's beaming down. Who does that? Even a good fisherman knows you at least fish early in the morning or late in the evening. Very rarely are you fishing at four o'clock in the afternoon. But he lets down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Here's my point. This is where we're going to close with. Uh, ushers, if you guys want to come and, and hand out the envelopes and the cards. As they're doing that, I just want to bring just a, a few thoughts for you. That there are some things in our lives that Jesus is saying to us that we need to do, that we might think goes contrary to what we've historically done or what we believe to be right or what we believe to be whatever, that he's saying, I want you to do this. And church, our response needs to be because you say so. 
I want to I bring our attention to a few of those things, if you will. Because some of these are just some things that as I was praying and fasting this week and just thinking about that I believe that God is kind of calling some of us to. And so I just want to help prime the pump a little bit. One of the things that God may be calling us to is to love one another. Maybe some of us struggle with loving those who, who haven't done anything for us or, or who are difficult to love. But John 15, 12 says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. But God, it's hard to love that person. But because you say so. Likewise, maybe we were somebody's being called this year to forgive. To forgive someone who has hurt you, someone who may have hurt you deeply. But his word says in Matthew 6, 14, forgive or for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But God, it's so hard to forgive this person. You don't understand what they've done. You don't understand how hard it's been. You don't understand that, that every time I make an attempt, they just keep kind of stabbing me in the back. But because you say so, maybe God's calling us to give generously. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. But God, you don't understand. I don't, I don't have much and, and, and uh, you know, I'm just trying to make ends meet and, and, and this and that or, or, or I'm saving up for that big boat that I want to buy. It's just 20 more years of saving and then I'll be able to help others. You know what, oh Lord? Because you say so. I mean, as Ali said, maybe this year we're called to tell others about Christ. We're always called to that. Mark 6, 15 tells us, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Maybe God's calling you to a new place of worshiping him. Psalm 100 verse two says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. But maybe you're like, but God, I don't like the song selection they use there. I don't like the key. I can't sing in that key. But that's okay, God, because you say so. I'm going to enter into my time of worship with everything I have. Maybe to some it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 about trusting the Lord. Maybe trust is that thing. Maybe it's 1 John 2, 15 that says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Maybe that's just a call to being different, to being set apart, to being set aside, to not try to live as the world lives, but to live completely and utterly different. And God is saying, I'm calling you to do that. And it's hard, God, but, it, but it's hard because I want to fit in and I want to look like everybody and I just want to kind of meld into the background. But because you say so, God, I'll do it. Church here is... I challenge for us this morning. And as you're writing, as you're thinking about, and as you're going to begin to write, we're going to give you just a few moments together, and we're going to write on our, our cards together. I'm going to give you instructions. On one side of the card, doesn't matter which side, I want you to think about what might be that thing that God is telling you that he's asking you to do in this year, 
that is going to stretch you beyond your senses. I mean, for Simon, it was to fish in the middle of the day when he had already fished all night and struck out. And all of his senses said, this is ridiculous. But maybe God is calling some of you to do something similar, to forgive someone who, like I said, has hurt you, to love someone who is unlovely, to to give extravagantly beyond what you've normally given before. Maybe it's to share the gospel with your neighbor this year. Maybe it's to invite a few more people to church with you. Maybe it's to let it be known in your workplace that you are a believer and not just fitting in so that no, none of the office politics will talk about you. I believe that if you ask him, he will reveal to you exactly what he is asking of you. And some of you may know that already. He may have been asking you this for years. I want you to write that on one side of your card. Then on the back side, once you flip that over, I want you, as we have generally done, I want you to write down three things. It doesn't have to be three. It may be one, it may be two, whatever. But at least, but write down some things that you are committed to praying into this year. Praying for, praying into, praying about that you will be committed to it. Because the reason why we do this is that we want to just continue to remind you that our God sees us, that he's not absent, that he's not on vacation, that he's not kind of somewhere else, that he sees us. And that as we pray, we continue to seek God for whatever his will might be. And we want to say, man, in a year from now, Some of you have been shocked when you open those up after a year and be like, man, I think I forgot to pray about this like halfway through, but God answered anyway. Or it's not been answered maybe the way I thought, but I see how God has moved in this situation. It helps to remind us that our God is alive and well, and he loves his people. So your first side is your because you say so. What is your because you say so? Because you say so, God, I'm going to do it. (laughs) I don't want to. It's not fun. It's not easy. But because you say so, I'm going to do it. And the second time is, what are things that you're committed to praying into? And I want you to make sure that once you do that, you will put um, that card in your envelope, write your name on your envelope. Every year we get tons of cards that have no name on it, so we can't even get them back to you. Write your name on your envelope. And then after we close our time in prayer, as we've done, we're just going to have you bring your envelopes and just lay them here at the altar. Just lay them here. And we're going to collect them up and we're going to seal them away in the vault for one year. And we'll return them next year. As we do that, I'm going to pray and we're just going to have this song that we're just going to let it play as you're thinking. Because after they had caught those fish, and they were amazingly shocked by it, and I would imagine that the catching of that fish, that amount of fish for fishermen was probably like, I don't know, a month or six months worth of salary worth of fish. Like as they're watching all of these fish come into the boat, they're just like, holy mackerel, we're going to eat for like two months off of what we caught here. Not them eating the fish, but selling it at market and doing what fishermen do. 
but it says that instead of them looking at that windfall that they just received, looking at all that money that has just come into their boat, it quickened their hearts to do something far greater. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to do something even greater than this. I'm going to make you fishers of people, of men. And it says, they, not only Simon, but James and John immediately left all that fish, all that money, and they followed him. That was, we know Simon's mother-in-law's response to Jesus' healing was to serve him. Their response was to follow him. Likewise, if you are in this place and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if he has not become master of your life, then I would ask that as this song is about to play and as we continue to write on these cards, that you would see myself or Todd or Pam or my wife, Michelle, and we would pray with you this moment that Jesus would be your Savior. There is no greater decision that one can make than the decision to indeed follow him. Amen? So, Lord God, we thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you, um, God, that you challenge us through your word, that you want to build us up, God, through your word. Lord God, I pray right now over each and every person who is writing on these cards right now. God, I pray that for each and every because you say so moment that is being written, Lord God, God, that we would forgo the excuses. And Lord God, that we would say, but because you say so, God, I am going to do it. I'm going to speak to my neighbor. I'm going to, I'm going to do what, whatever it might be. So God, I pray right now that you would give us the strength to follow through. God, that you would uh, remind us and challenge us and hold us accountable, Lord God, that, that we won't just write these cards and say, oh, that was fine and, and move on, but God, that we would be committed to what it is that you're challenging us to do. And then, God, I pray for every prayer request that is placed on every card, things that are, are hopefully God-sized things, God, that when we write those things down and we know that the only way they're going to happen is if you move. God, that we would see your power and authority on display throughout this year, God. God, these are not things that we can do in and of ourselves. But God, that you alone can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So God, we come before you. Our hearts prostrate, laid out before you. Saying, God, we need you. As we work, like Ali said, to build kingdom. Lord God, that we would get a boldness that would come from you, that would open our mouths to speak the good news of the kingdom of God, both that is here now for us and that is yet to come. Lord God, that people would be drawn to your salvation, be drawn to your grace, would be drawn to your love through us, God. Use us. And God, however you call us this year, we'll follow you. Whatever you call us to do, Jesus. I pray that we would immediately leave whatever it is we're doing 
and follow you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.